as uh, we're doing this uh, to give Pastor Paul an opportunity just to recover from COVID and the effects of it. And so I've thought, you know, do I carry on with the evening service series on grace or do we look at things? And I've been spending some time just praying and saying, God, you know, what is your message for today? Um, and it's kind of a recurring theme that's coming along, uh, very similar to the, the message I preached uh, two Sundays back. But this message today is on hope. And the hope not just for tomorrow. A hope not just for tomorrow. And we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 3 uh, to 11. So if you can turn there, 2 Corinthians 2, uh, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be going there. So you preach on hope. Uh, why? Well, we've been known as a, quite a resilient kind of country. Uh, we've seen how the response to the looting and, and just communities coming together. But as I was kind of wrestling with this, um, my power got taken away from me. Physically, but also emotionally, uh, all sorts. And it wasn't because we didn't pay our bill. Uh, we're part of that lovely substation called Vapadrant Substation. And on Saturday night, our power went out. And um, just to say, for those who live in Ferry Glen and Vapadrant and all that area, it was not my fault uh, I hadn't preached. There was at least almost a week between that preaching. And in fact, Pastor Paul sent me his sermon notes about a half an hour before the power went out. Just just to say. Uh, so the power went out and uh, we basically only got restored uh, at 4 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. And then have had on and off since then as they're still trying to fix things. And um, there's cold weather. You realize how comforting power actually is. Being able to switch on the light switch. Being able to just do things without having to like plan. Okay, if I did this, we did this. We've got to boil water. We've got to do this. And uh, trying to be the encourager for my family uh, during this time. You know, we can do this. It's okay. You know, we face this. And you can see the kids are like, ah, we can't. Uh, using the bicycle pump to pump oxygen back into the fish tank and trying to do this. And, and working out this light. And if we go to church, we can charge these batteries. And I can see as the week came and as the deadlines that the, the city gave us and say, no, it'll be restored by Wednesday, came and didn't and didn't and it didn't and it didn't happen. All this false hope. I was like, sure, Lord, you're really giving me a practical exercise for Sunday morning sermon. Kind of what more can we take? And on Thursday morning, I got a call from the school to say that there had been a, a COVID case in the class and that all the kids are to be fetched immediately as they're now first contacts. So I had to go pick up Joshua, who was now just settling back into his routine of being in school. Um, and so he has to be there. Now it gives him more challenges, because now Joshua has to isolate. I'm trying to tell a four-year-old how he has to isolate and why he can't connect with people. Now we can't go and shower at other people's houses, because one of us has to be at home with Joshua. And I can see Sarah's just going, like, enough. I'm like, love, we've got this. It's okay. And inside, I'm just going, man, Lord, how much more can we take of this? Now, we're very privileged to have electricity, especially right now. And I realize that. I realize that there are so many more people that are going through things. Though we title and say that South Africans are very resilient, inside, don't you feel, I've had enough. What more can I take? What more can we face? What more can we handle? It's enough. Aren't you there sometimes? 
Maybe it's been in the business. Maybe it's been the loss of a loved one. Whatever it is where you're at a point where you're just absolutely in despair. Maybe that's you. Well, some people may find this very hard to believe. But the hero of faith, the great hero of the New Testament, Paul, was at that very same place. I want to pick up from verse 8, and it says here, For we do not want you to be unaware, talking to the church in Corinth, yeah, brothers of the, effect, uh, of the affliction we experience in Assyria. For we were so utterly burdened beyond strength that we, despair, uh, that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. This is what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, I'm at a point where I'm so overwhelmed, I can't go on, I cannot take more. He's feeling so weak, the very strength that he had has been zapped from him. His place of despair, despair of life itself. Do you know that they say due to COVID and what's happened with the lockdowns and the restrictions, and I think of many of the youngsters that find identity in so many things, in sports that they can't do. And academics that are becoming so challenging with online schooling. Depression is at its highest. Anxiety is at its highest at the moment. The loss, the sense of loss is at its highest at the moment. And we feel sometimes at a place where, where it is beyond help. Nothing more. And we sometimes try cling on to little things. We're clinging on to our president's speech tonight. And by the way, he was planned to speak before I preached. Just please note that. All right. We're clinging on that. If only it changes this, if only it will go away, if only vaccines will work, if only this will take place, and we're clinging on to these things. But sometimes they fade. Or something else happens. And we get to that place. What more can we handle? Paul's there. It's almost... In a paraphrased version, I felt like I needed to crawl up into a ball and die. This is what the great hero of faith is saying. Incredible, Paul's not the only one. You just need to read some of the Psalms to see how David was responding to circumstances and situations. Lord, look, my enemies surround me. This is what's going on. Lord, I just can't go on. David turns around to him and says that. But what do we see? We see a change. Here it says, But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See that in verse 9. But God who raises the dead. But God. So how do we, in a place of despair, in a moment of just feeling like we can't carry on, Knowing our hope of salvation, knowing that Christ will return and we will be with Him one day, how do we make it relevant to how we are facing things now? In what is going on? Well, what do we do? I want to read the full verse to you. Let's get this whole thing in context. Because Paul highlights so much for us. Let's take it from verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort for which ourselves were comforted by God. 
For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. And so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. We are afflicted. For it is comfort and, uh, for it is your comfort and salvation that we, are com- uh, that we are comforted. It is for your comfort in which we experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experience in Assyria. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the death sentence. But it was what has made us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly pool. For, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. So that you must help us by prayer. So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. We see in the highlight, how does Paul get through the circumstance of, I've had enough, I can't go on, I just want to crawl up into a ball and die. How does he grab a future hope for now? Well, firstly, hope has to start with the correct focus. It has to start with the correct focus. It starts with Paul's view on who God is. That's where he does. He looks to God, he returns to the Lord through the circumstances, through the situation, through this turmoil that he's going through. And he fixes his eyes on Christ. He has the correct focus to get through. And see, we need to have the correct focus on who God is. Is because how we view God right now will determine how we get through the circumstance and how we get through and where we where our source of hope will come. So what does he say who God is? He starts off by saying God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a God who is distant, not a God that is up there going, Oh, what's happening? Imagine going to an ant hill and looking, and I don't know if you've ever watched ants at work. And felt sorry because there's always that one ant that's carrying something far bigger. You're like, oh, look at that ant suffering. Man, look how hard working is. Sure. Squash. God's not doing that. He's not going, sure. Check it, Andrew. Look how he's suffering right now. Not only his foot is bad, but Tottenham is going nowhere this season. He's not, he's not looking at that. But he's a God who's been present with us. The Lord Jesus Christ. The very God who took on the form of flesh. Who's been with us. Who knows what it is to be hungry. Who knows what it is to thirst. Who knows what it is to be betrayed. To be persecuted. He knows our suffering. It is not a distant God, but a God who is so loving, loving to the point of the cross. That's who He is. That's who our focus should be on. See, when it is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, means the aspect of Father that we can come into the throne room, that we are called children of His. We can approach Him. Through the grace that's experienced through the cross. 
I know as Christians we go through suffering. We go through loss and we go through hardships. I know too that the world goes through it. That doesn't seem like it. But what is an incredible privilege as Christians. Unlike the world, we are able to come into the throne room. We are able to approach the loving God. Our Lord Jesus Christ. We're able to connect with Him. Because He died for you and me on the cross. Come on, sins. So He's the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But He's not just that. He is the Father of mercies. Paul goes on to say, Father of mercies, this is incredible. It means that God isn't waiting for us to get to a certain place before he will comfort us. But he shows his mercy. Now I know sometimes when we go through suffering, and sometimes we go through suffering because of our own sin and circumstances, or maybe sometimes we feel so distant from the Lord because despair sometimes does that, brings us into a spiritual drought. And we get to this place and we're like, ooh, I can't approach God. I can't come to Him. I can't cry out to Him. I can't do this. We can. Why? Because His comfort isn't dependent on us. It's in His mercy. Do you realize that God has covered it all? Christ has taken it all. We're able to come to a merciful God. We're able to find comfort even when we don't deserve it. How incredible is our God. So we fix our eyes. We have the correct focus that it is the God who understands because He knows us. He's been with us. The Lord Jesus Christ. He's the God of mercy who's gracious not to give us what we deserve, but comes along with this incredible comfort. But Paul highlights the fact. He's not only the Father of mercies, but He is the God of all comfort. Paul doesn't turn around and say He's the God of comfort. He says the God of all comfort. The all, if you highlight that in your Bible, means this very source of comfort is Him. He's our comfort. There is no greater comfort than the comfort from Him. It also turns around and says that all comfort means that God doesn't choose when or where to give us comfort. It says in all comfort, in all, what do we see? All troubles, depends on what version you're looking through, in all turmoils, in all afflictions, Let's turn around and say it. So God reveals His comfort in all circumstances and all situations. Now, isn't that incredible, the God of great comfort? In fact, this word here, used for comfort, is the same as Christ uses the word to describe in the Holy Spirit, our comforter, who's with us. Now, many parents, I'm sure, have done incredible things for many a stuffed toys. If you, you've gone and left it behind and realized the crisis that that can cause, I've had to dr- turn around and drive back to Johannesburg. Yeah? Because this plush comfort toy 
In fact, I'm quite hurt because when Joshua hurts himself, you know, he runs to dad. So really I've got the bonus points that dad is his comfort. But so often he'll run to me and I'm like, come here, my boy. And he'll run past me, run into his room and go get giraffe. And then come sit on my lap. So the comfort that he gets more from a stuffed toy than it is me. I know my pecking order. I'm below that, that stuffed toy. So it's this comfort that we get that we're able to come in the moment we can't handle things, where it seems overwhelming, where we can't face tomorrow. God is at a place where there's the embrace. Where we're able to be in the arms of a loving God. We're able to cling to Him. We're able to hold into Him. We're able to find peace in Him. But the word comfort here doesn't just mean a, no, no, it's going to be okay, basis here. In fact, the English language we're told is kind of watered down this word. Comfort here means encouragement. It means boldness. It means to be able to walk alongside. So it's more that we don't just find the God of all comfort. It's the God of encouragement, the God of boldness, the God who we're able to find strength in. The God who walks alongside. It's this whole basis that it's just more than just now, now. But the God who goes with us. And I've used this sermon illustration a number of times. But I had the privilege of going visiting uh, the UK. I'd saved up as a youngster and managed to, to go across. And my, my uncle and my, my cousin decided to take me through to London. We went on a tour. And they took me into Soho because I was quite interested in the electronics and technology side. And Soho is very big in London with the, its computers and that. But there's also a very dodgy side of Soho. And we soon found ourselves in it. I think my uncle was kind of testing me. Now, my uncle had been a bouncer. My cousin was a bouncer. And here I was with these big guys walking down the street. The way I walked was totally different. If I had been alone, I would have been trying to find the nearest exit. Don't make eye contact. Look down and, and hoy left. But here I was with these big guys. And so I was walking. I even had that gangster hip kind of walk. You know, and I approached. Why? Because of the confidence I had, not in me but in them. And so if he is the God of all comfort, we find this encouragement, this confidence to be able to face this turmoil. Not because of me, but because of him. What is your focus of God? Who is God to you? Is he your savior? Or is he someone you just acknowledge? Who is he to you? Well, to Paul, he was the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. But a little bit later on, he also describes God as God who raises the dead. He is the God who raises the dead. Turns around and says, but it was not to make us, but it was to make. Make us rely not on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. So in other words, he's the God who's in control, who will never, ever be defeated. That death cannot keep him down. He is alive. 
a living God. All powerful. Nothing can defeat him. And Paul places his confidence in this God who raises the dead. Because he knows that God is in control. Even if Paul had to die, there would be nothing that would happen out of the will of God. God could even raise from the dead. We see later on, about eight to ten years later after this, that Paul eventually did die. And we see God's hand in, in God using that very circumstance. But Paul knew, no matter what, God was never defeated. I know right now, you may be feeling defeated. You may be feeling in a place of just, I can't go on. I want to encourage you to focus on who God is. Pick up the correct focus of who He is. My God is alive. My God is awesome. My God is caring. My God is the great comforter. My God is merciful and graceful. That is who He is. So what is our response to this? Our response is one of praise. Paul starts off with verse 3. Blessed in the ESV version. That blessed isn't saying God may you be blessed. The word is actually saying and should be translated. Praise be to God. Because he deserves all worship. He deserves everything from me. Everything from me. He is awesome. How great is our God. That's what he's saying. See, we need to get into a place when we have the right focus. We realize we don't praise God tomorrow when worship, when things are easy. We praise God when things go rough. When things go hard. We can turn away from him. We can deny him. We can say, God, you've abandoned me. That's not my God. Or we can turn to him and say, God, I don't understand. I don't understand the loss. I don't understand the grief. I don't understand this turmoil. But blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. What is your focus? Secondly, hope is activated by trust. It is activated by trust. Paul goes on to say, we set our hope that he will deliver us again. Paul's expressing this, that, that God has delivered him already in this turmoil of what's gone on. And he doesn't tell us. He says, we make you aware. We're not quite sure what it, it was. We presume that Titus would have made the church there in Corinth aware. We can guess that it might have been some spiritual attacks. We may guess that it would be persecution. It may have been the riots that took place in emphasis over this time from the silversmiths. It may have been so many different things. We just know that, that Paul was in such a hardship that he just felt that it was a death sentence, the deadly parole. But he turns around here and, and says, we set our hope that he will deliver us again. I find this amazing that God has delivered us from this. And you know what? When it comes again, it's going to be there. God is going to be, uh, you know, he's going to continue to deliver. Isn't that incredible trust and testimony? 
I think sometimes we need to be reminded of what God has done to remind us of what God will do to help us through what's going on. The power of testimony, the power of journaling and remembering what God has done. But our hope is activated by trust. He uses the word, we, we kind of, uh, unshakable hope in this version. So what this is kind of saying is it's not a hope. If you think about anchoring a kite, and if you send out a kite out there, especially if you're in the Western Cape, you know, and you hoi it out there, and that kite is there, it's taken by the wind, blown in many different directions. We become the anchor. Versus a boat who sends an anchor down to the ground, and no matter what the storms happen, that boat will not move. See, the trust here is not making ourselves the anchor as if we're trying to hold a kite and hoping for situations and circumstances to change. If only I could get an island and live by myself. If only this happened. If only that took place. If only I won the lotto. If only this. It removes us from being the anchor, but by trusting in the Lord, our hope becomes unshaken. It means we anchor ourselves in Him. See, it's relying not on ourselves, but God. And that's what Paul has realized. Paul's got to that place where he's saying, I've tried all and I couldn't get out of this situation. I've tried everything I can, but this has taught me that I have to rely only on God. That's what it's saying. Not to rely on ourselves, but on God. This relies to trust. It means to take our view and our focus on God, and not just to acknowledge Him, but to give Him our very lives. To say, God, here I am. Even in the moment of weakness, even in the moment where I've got nothing to give, even when I can't go on, even when inside I am so anxious, I am in such a place of despair and so despondent in this, overwhelmed, feeling broken, we're able to say, God, but you can. I give my life to you. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 says this, But he said to me, and this is in context of Paul talking about the thorn, uh, thorn in his side, his very weakness, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in witness. So we move from trusting in other circumstances, holding the kite, into the basis of being anchored in him, having an unshakable hope in him. So we need to trust him. But we see quite a few things that come in this verse. We need to trust him even in the midst of suffering. There's a theology out there that's saying that Christians shouldn't suffer. And if you suffer, there's a sin in your life. Whilst sin absolutely brings suffering of ourselves, if it's our own sin, and sometimes of others, it is one of the reasons. We see it says here, for we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Now Christ never sinned. So why is Christ suffering? Sometimes we suffer even when we follow the will of God. Do we still trust in Him? 
Even when we're saying, God, I've done everything you called me to do. I want to be obedient to you. I'm living for you. Even if we turn around and say, God, I'm running a business in the way you've called me to. Do we still trust God in the midst of suffering when we're following his will? It said we share abundantly in sufferings. That should scare us. Abundantly in Christ's sufferings. I don't want to experience what Christ suffered. But Paul's saying we experience that abundantly. And what suffering is it talking about Christ? It's not talking about the suffering upon the cross where Christ took the sin of the sin of the world. We could never handle that suffering. It would never be for us. But we pick up the suffering of Christ's sufferings when we follow in obedience to God. Sometimes we will face persecution. Sometimes we will face hardships. We experience that. And in fact, we're going to experience it abundantly. It shouldn't surprise us as Christians. Do we still trust God? Paul doesn't just say that in those times, all the best, it said, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. The ability to get through, the ability to have God walk alongside us through this, the ability to face this. That's what he's kind of saying. The ability to know God's hand and at work in our lives, even through this comfort. You find it incredible that it says that we suffer, uh, we, uh, the, uh, Christ's sufferings abundantly, but in the same, we also experience his abundant, overflowing comfort through this. See, I know that sometimes we will feel that Christ has abandoned us. God has abandoned us. Despair. We see that through the Psalms. God, where are you? And we feel that. But we need to know as we go through this abundant suffering, so God's abundant comfort is there. John Piper goes on to say this. He says that God is uh, always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you only may be aware of three of them. They love me. Though you're going through this, it feels like God has abandoned me in this moment, in this circumstance. But we don't realize God's abundant comfort that is at work in this. God was using this circumstance and situation that Paul went through for his glory. Are we going to trust God even in the midst of suffering? Not just acknowledging Him and having a correct focus of Him, but saying, God, no matter what, I give my life to you. See, Paul knew his need for Christ was not just about salvation, but his very life too. And as Christians, sometimes we live it out just as about salvation, a future hope. Instead of realizing our very lives need to be surrendered to Him. Called to glorify Him no matter what. So trust, hope is activated by trust. Thirdly, hope cannot be contained. Hope cannot be contained. It says here, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort we ourselves were comforted by God incredible that God's comfort isn't just the amount we need and by the way suffering um, suffering will never ever ever 
outweigh the comfort of God. Isn't incredible in this verse. But it's still around here that this overflowing comfort that comes. So as we experience a hope in God, we cannot contain it. It's got to bubble from us. It's got to be an ability to comfort others. And incredible, as we say, the South Africans are resilient. I've loved the fact that the news focused, shifted from the negative to the positive of communities getting together, of our national army of taxi association stepping up and patrolling shops. Seeing all that's happened and seeing the response of people, isn't that incredible? But as his church who have the hope, this is what we're called to do. We're called to comfort others. See, God's grace was never meant to be stored. It was meant to be shared. We can never store God's grace. It is so abundant. If you're feeling at a place of despair, if you're feeling at a place where you are so broken, where there seems to be no hope, I want to encourage you, walk alongside someone. Not just for you, but go and do something. Incredible. When we're in the place where we are so feeling like it's just overwhelming, when we get to a place and saying, hey, I can come alongside, we get to see God's comfort in others. The incredible blessing that God wants us to walk alongside others to comfort them. Now, I've seen this so often in practical ministry. I, as I've journeyed, and I remember uh, working alongside a young girl that, that suffered with OCD. Now, I know we joke a lot about OCD, and there are many things about it. But when you experience somebody that is crippled by it, you realize how big it is. I would remember her getting stuck in a pattern where she would wash her hands and she would be stuck in that pattern for about a half an hour, just, just going on and couldn't break out that cycle. I remember the pain that it caused her. I remember just the frustration. I remember praying for her so many times that God would remove this from her. But I also remember how she walked alongside others. And I saw how God used her in her pain, in her struggles, to comfort so many. Do you realize that God wants to work through us in this? Pastor Paul and Marlene have been the right people for this this church. And we so realize that God has absolutely guided that call committee. And his avenue of care has been there. But I've seen since he has experienced COVID themselves, their response to those that are going through COVID themselves has just magnified even more. Why? Because he knows. I know that we've got people in this church that have experienced great loss. And it hurts. That have experienced incredible trauma. That lives have been shattered. But you know what? God will bring us to that place of healing where he is going to use you to comfort others. So great is his healing. So we get to comfort others. Why? Because we've been comforted by God. Does it come with our own strength? No. We get to comfort them because we have experienced God's comfort that is in abundance, that overflows from us. So we as a church... How are we walking alongside one another? We're called to serve. We're called to be involved in those cleanups. Not just waiting for a national crisis, 
but journey alongside those who have lost loved ones, those that are struggling. It is not the pastor's job alone. It is all of us to walk alongside. See, Paul was very aware that the church in Corinth had gone through hard times. In fact, we, we hear a reference of a, a, of a harsh letter. There's theological debates about where that letter is, um, whether it's part of Second, uh, Second Corinthians, where it is, but we don't know about that. We don't know fully. But we know that this church had gone through a point where there was frustrations that Paul had to have a hard, painful visit with them doesn't deal with, doesn't, isn't able to deal with what's gone on there, has left, written this hard letter towards them, sent Timothy involved in there, and slowly but surely we see a change that Titus comes back to report what's going on, and, and hence we have this letter of encouragement. But this church had gone through such huge, huge heartache and pain and that. Paul rushes in this letter. Normally, like most of his letters, he will give thanksgiving for the church of what happens. What do we see here? Paul jumps straight into this, verse 3. Why? He wants to share this hardship. He doesn't want them to be unaware. Why? Because he connects with them. He's too been through this hardship. We are called to connect and walk alongside other people. But not just that. It says you also must help by prayer. So that many may give thanks on behalf of the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. We need to be a praying church. Praying for one another. Not using it as a Christianese. I don't know how to answer this problem. So I'm just going to tell a person I'm going to pray for you but to be genuinely interceding for others. That's what we're called to do. Intercede for others, to be praying for others. I love the fact that during the time of crisis, we were able to, through technology, have a quick Zoom meeting to pray for Jordan Barnes, a farm that had just been set alight, and to see God's work through that prayer. To be together as a soul group and to be praying for one another through hardships and to see God's answer to prayer and sometimes not to see it, but to see God do other things. We're called to be praying for each other. We as a church have prayed many a times. We've prayed for the calling of a senior pastor. I remember the amount of times that, that Pastor Mike was so sick sitting in ICU. That as a church, we got together to pray. And that happened before I had even arrived. Shouldn't we be doing that in all things? Shouldn't there, when there's fellowship, be praying for one another, phoning each other up and saying, I'm not just praying for you, I'm going to pray with you right now through this circumstance. Paul wants that. Why? So that we can give thanks. Because God is in control. He is an awesome God. So you are, hope is not to be contained. See, our response to this is that we're not meant to be alone. We need to walk alongside one another through prayer and comfort. And through this time, I just want to share that as a church, we are going to be starting grief share. We realize that the grief in our church is so great. There's an opportunity for those that have lost loved ones, friends, colleagues, opportunity to carry that burden together as a group 
And so the next few weeks we'll be doing that. And I ask you as a church to be in prayer in this. Or maybe if you feel God is leading you or prompting you, you want to be involved in this ministry where you can encourage others that have lost loved ones, please to get hold of me. That's great privilege to walk alongside each other, to not contain the hope that we have. So as I finish, what am I trying to say this morning? I'm trying to say that the resurrection hope that we have in Christ is not for tomorrow, but it also impacts today. It is not the resurrection hope isn't just for tomorrow, but it impacts today when we have the correct focus, when we trust in Him and we let it overflow from us. Isaiah 49 verse 13 says this, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, and sing, for God has comforted His people, and He has compassion on His afflicted. Thank you, Father God, for who You are. How great You are. What an awesome God we serve. Thank You that You know turn your back on us you haven't left us but you know because of who you are and i pray for those that right now that are experiencing such incredible loss in their lives loss of friends loss of family loss of colleagues i pray that they may know your comfort your peace may they know your strength as it's so hard to even get out of bed and to face tomorrow Pray for those that are struggling with businesses or at a point of break point. Okay, we don't know how we're going to eat tomorrow. May they know your hand. Those that are struggling with COVID right now in our church or struggling to recover from some of the side effects of COVID, may you have your hand. And Lord, may you continue to raise up your church. I thank you for those so many that have been involved in walking alongside others. Involved in the COVID care ministry. Those that have, have just given meals. Those that have stepped up to be counted just to, to overflow the comfort that comes from here. May we do it more so that the world acknowledges who you are. May we continue to become a praying church praying for one another and may we be journeying and praising you because you're a living God you answer prayer and sometimes even the way we don't like it but your hand is there and so we just praise you for who you are be with us this morning give us that encouragement that boldness to face this and to seek your glory so we pray this in your precious name Amen